Please be seated. Our Old Testament passage comes from the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, verses 1 through 12. If you'd like to follow it along as I read, you can find it on page 780 in the Pew Bible immediately in front of you. Before we read God's word, though, let us ask him to illuminate the scriptures before we read. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have read this passage many, many times. So we ask that today you would give us new understanding, new meaning, as we hear these words and read these words again this day. In the name of Christ we ask it, and all God's people said, Amen. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because his, he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for 
the transgressors. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Paul. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. It may be found on page 1125 of your Red Pew Bible. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. Listen to the word of the Lord. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. Why don't the 11 remaining disciples believe the words of these faithful women? After all, these women have been with Jesus for a very, very long time. In Luke chapter 8, we read verse 1, And the 12 were with them, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. These women have been with Jesus and his disciples, and they have been providing for them because these are wise, hardworking women who have the ability to make money to help support Jesus and his ministry. Surely their support of Jesus would have given them a hearing among the 11 apostles who remain. Yet the 11 apostles hear the tale of these women, and and they think it's an idle tale. They don't believe them. Why don't the 11 apostles listen and believe these faithful women who are so capable and wise. Reminds me of the story of the three men who were trying to make their way through the jungle, and as they were trekking through the jungle, they came across a, a roaring, raging river. Well, they knew they needed to cross the river, but they weren't exactly sure how, and so the first man prayed and said, God, please give me the strength that I might get across the river. And immediately his muscles grew, and he was able to swim across the river at great labor. In fact, there were two times he almost drowned, but after two hours of swimming, he finally made it across this huge river. Well, the second man seeing this, I'm going to pray as well. So he said, Lord, God, would you not only make me strong, but give me the tools that I might be able to get across this river. And all of a sudden, a, a boat came floating down the river, and he was able to get in the boat, and with all of his strength and might, he was able to row, and he only capsized once or twice, but he was able to get across that river in just one hour. The third man seeing this prayed, and he said, God, would you not only give me the strength and the tools, but would you give me the intelligence to know how to best get across this river? And all of a sudden, this man, he turned into a woman. And he took the map outside of his backpack, and he saw that the map said there was a bridge about 100 yards away, and so he crossed it. (laughs) Why don't these men listen to these capable, strong women? 
I mean, these women had the courage at least to, to go to the tomb where Jesus was laid while the other men, the disciples, were in hiding. Why don't the male apostles believe the faithful testimony of these capable women? Well, these first century Jewish men probably don't believe the testimony of these women because they've been raised in a culture that was told to not trust, not to trust in the testimony of women. In fact, Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, writes this, but let not the testimony of women be admitted on account of the levity and boldness of their sex, since it is probable that they may not speak the truth, either out of hope of gain or fear of punishment. A woman's testimony was not even allowed in the court of law in the Jewish times in the first century. And despite all that Jesus has done to to lift up these women, to elevate them, to heal them, to bless them, these apostles are not willing to listen to these women. They don't believe what they have to say because a woman's testimony was always questioned in the first century. Do you see what I see? If you were going to make up a story about Jesus and his resurrection so that you might believe that Jesus is Lord, the last thing you would do is say that there was women who came from the tomb and saw that it was empty. I mean, no one would believe the testimony of a woman. A woman's testimony wasn't allowed in the court. And yet, first century men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four men from the first century, all write that it was women who were the first to discover that the the tomb was empty, who come to the disciples, the the rest of the disciples, and tell them that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We're going to work on that, guys. We're going to do it a couple more times, all right? (laughs) These women came to the other disciples and said, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Yes, the fact that it was women who were the first to discover the empty tomb lets us know that this is not a fabrication. No one in the first century would make up the story that it was women who were the first to discover that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Of course, no one expected the tomb to be empty, did they? Even the women didn't expect the tomb to be empty. I mean, they came to the tomb bearing spices because they were going to anoint Jesus' dead body with spices. After they had all seen Jesus die on a cross, they saw him breathe his very last breath. And Roman soldiers were very good at killing people. They were known for killing people very well. In fact, there was no known history of anyone surviving a Roman crucifixion. This was clearly not a resuscitation. No, Jesus was dead and everyone knew it. And so they came to the tomb expecting to find a dead body that they might anoint with spices. But when they get there, They find that the stole is rolled away and the tomb is empty. And these angels say to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And Luke chapter nine, after Peter professes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, Jesus tells his disciples, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus told them he was going to rise again, but no one seemed to remember or no one really believed that Jesus would rise again. I mean, Jesus' death was so bloody and dark on that Friday that no one expected him to come back to life. Roman soldiers were known for for being good at killing people, so so no one expected this. Everyone saw Jesus die and breathe his last on that cross. No one expected him to be alive on that first Easter Sunday after that bloody Friday. 
But the angels reminded the women of what Jesus had said about his resurrection. And then the women remember, and with great joy and wonder, they they go back to the disciples to tell them all that they've seen. The disciples, the apostles, they don't want to believe the women. They think it's an idle tale. All of them except Peter. Peter, who had professed that Jesus was the Christ of God. Peter, who said that he would never deny Jesus, and yet Jesus tells him on the night that he is betrayed that he will deny him three times before the cock crows. And Peter does, in fact, deny Jesus three times. Peter knows that what Jesus says is going to happen, happens. And so as he hears the tale of how Jesus said he was going to rise again, he too remembers. And he knows that Jesus' words are true. And so with great hope, he, he goes to the tomb And we read, verse 12, But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. The Greek word for marvel here can also be translated to wonder or to be astonished. Peter couldn't believe what he was seeing. He marveled. He he wondered. I like the way Eugene Peterson, in his um, paraphrase of the Bible, The Message, translates verse 12. But Peter jumped to his feet and ran to the tomb. He stooped to look in and saw a few grave clothes. That's all. He walked away puzzled, shaking his head. Peter has seen the empty tomb, but he can't believe it. He remembers what Jesus had said, but he's still marveling, wondering, astonished at all that he has seen. No one expected the tomb to be empty that day. I actually found this little comic strip that I think helps articulate what everyone was thinking that day. Nothing is certain except what in taxes? (laughs) Nothing is certain except death in taxes. Yet for Jesus, he's now alive. It it, it befuddled everyone. I I share this because tomorrow's tax day. You better turn in your taxes. (laughs) The disbelief of the first disciples who had heard from Jesus himself that he was going to rise again, the disbelief of these first disciples, despite the testimony of the women, the disbelief of these first disciples should help us see that we shouldn't be surprised when Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, and agnostics don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. What is the key to helping pass on our faith to make sure that those who don't believe come to see what we see, that Christ is risen? He is risen indeed. To see how we can best share our faith so that our coworkers and our classmates and our friends and our family members will see what we see. Let's continue reading the Gospel of Luke Chapter 24. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking, said, then one of them named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company, moreover, some women of our company, uh, 
amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished before their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you so much that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly account of the teachings and the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh God, we pray that as we continue to reflect on your word, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you might give me the words to speak, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Throughout the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote, it is very clear that God is the one who gives us eyes to see and faith to hear the good news that Jesus, in fact, is Lord. Notice that even though Cleopas and his companion are talking about Jesus, they're thinking about Jesus, when Jesus himself, the risen Jesus, appears, they do not recognize him. For we read, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus then gives Cleopas and his companion the best Bible study ever, beginning with Moses in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are called the books of Moses. Beginning with the first five books of the Bible, Jesus begins to walk them through the scriptures to see that how the Son of God had to come and suffer and to die. And eventually he gets to the prophet, and I'm quite the prophets, and I'm quite certain he, he read from Isaiah 53 that Paul read just a moment ago. Because in Isaiah 53, we read the story of the suffering servant. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 22 quotes Isaiah 53 verse 12 when he says this to his disciples before he is crucified. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. Isaiah 53 was written centuries before Jesus came to this earth. But as we look at the life and the death of Jesus, we can see that he is a fulfillment of that great prophecy that Paul read just a moment ago. He says, the risen Jesus explains the clear teachings of Scripture. Their hearts burn within them, but they still do not recognize Jesus. It's not until they come to the table of fellowship 
And Jesus takes the bread, he blesses it, thanks God for it, and then he gives it to them. And with his nail-scarred hands, he hands the bread to Cleopas and his companion, and their eyes are opened, and they recognize him. It's at the table of fellowship. As we come to the Lord's table, our eyes are open as we're reminded of God's amazing love that while we were yet sinners, Christ gave his body for us. He shed his blood so that our sins might be atoned for. It's at the table of fellowship we're nourished, we're strengthened, and our eyes are open to just how much God loves us. So who are we inviting to join us at the table of fellowship? Because we can see from the greatest movements in the history of the church, belonging leads to believing. In the first 300 years of the church's history, the church grew exponentially as Christians would meet within their homes and they would invite others to come and join them to sit at table, the table of fellowship, where they would have a breaking of the bread and they would, they would uh, share the apostles' teaching, whether an apostle gave it or they would read the writings of the apostles. They would share the teachings of the apostles and have a breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers. And it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is it was at this table of fellowship that as people experienced the love of Christ and these agape feasts, that their eyes were opened and they came to believe that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Same was true in Ireland under the leadership of St. Patrick. Before St. Patrick came to Ireland as a missionary, there was no indigenous tribe in Ireland that was Christian. And yet after, after St. Patrick's ministry took off, by the time of his death, there were 700 churches that his movement helped start. Over a thousand priests had been ordained in St. Patrick's great missionary movement. And St. Patrick's primary method of evangelism was gracious hospitality. He would travel with his brand of brothers and he would create these small monastic communities in Ireland where he would invite the sojourner and the traveler to come and join them to live life together. They would always invite the stranger to sit at the abbot's table And as they shared a meal together, the abbot would talk to them about the the love of God that we find in Jesus Christ. When was the last time you shared a meal with a non-believer and told them about the good news of God's amazing love that we find in Jesus Christ? Several weeks ago, I was blessed to be a part of a wedding of an old college buddy of mine, and I got to see some college friends that I hadn't seen in over 20 years and some college acquaintances that I hadn't seen in over 20 years. We had a wonderful time, and we shared several meals together. And as I would sit down to catch up with them, I would learn about their families and about their careers and where they now worked and what cities they now lived in. And as we would talk about the cities where they now live, I felt it was very natural for me to ask, well, do you have a church home in the city where you now live? And if they said no, which was often, they said, no, not right now. I'd say, well, did you grow up in the church? And they would give me their church history or their background. And and, and often they would tell me what they really believe about God or or what they don't believe. Knowing that as Luke 24 tells us, God is the one who ultimately gives us the eyes to see who Jesus is. I, I would quietly pray in the midst of this conversation saying, God, give me the words to speak. I know that I may not be the greatest evangelist, but I know that Jesus is. I mean, if Jesus is able to take the Pharisee Saul and turn him into the apostle Paul, Jesus can convert anyone, amen? Amen. And so I began to, to pray and say, God, give me the words to speak. And so then I would begin to explore their story of faith a little further. And after they had shared their beliefs and what they believed about God and their experience in church, I, I would share with them how Jesus has changed my life. 
And in our postmodern culture where truth is relative, no one can deny your personal testimony of how God has changed your life. And then as I would talk to them, I'd say, you know, as I consider the, the historical evidence for the resurrection, I think the best explanation for the life of the disciples, why these 11 remaining men would go out and travel around the world telling others that they had experienced the risen Jesus and that 10 of these 11 would actually die for that proclamation. The only logical explanation for the life of the disciples and the things that they said is they had, in fact, experienced the risen Jesus. I mean, nobody would would die for something they knew was a lie. They wouldn't say they'd seen the risen Jesus and then die for it unless they actually had. And then I would share with them that if Jesus is really risen from the dead, that that changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It lets us know that death does not have the final say. That no matter what happens to us in this life, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. As I share these truths, the people would hear the genuine hope and joy in my voice. And they would be intrigued and they would listen in because everybody needs hope, right? Most of us have lived long enough to know that lasting hope is not going to be found in some political party or a certain ideology or anything our culture offers. Our only lasting hope is found in Jesus Christ. It's like that old hymn, sing it if you know it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. As you share your faith with someone at a, at a table at a restaurant, you may not want to break out into song. That might be a little weird. But it communicates the truth that our hope is only going to be found in in Jesus Christ. The reality of the resurrection. And hope, hope is contagious. When Peter heard the testimony of the women, with a hope and an ounce of faith, he went to go see if what they said was true. And we can see from verse 34 that God honors his faith and rewards him by appearing to him so that Simon Peter sees the risen Jesus for himself. If we continue reading Luke 24, we will see that the risen Jesus then appears to to the rest of the disciples. And and Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the risen Jesus appeared to over 500 people before he ascended into heaven. Notice, though, that in all the gospel accounts, in the book of Acts, and the letters of the apostle Paul, it's always Jesus who appears and reveals himself to others. It is God who ultimately makes himself known to us. And so if we have a friend, a relative, a coworker, a classmate who denies the divinity of Jesus, we need to pray. We need to pray that Jesus would reveal himself to them. And if you're here today, you're not sure about the resurrection, you're not sure about whether or not Jesus is fully God and fully man, I would encourage you to pray. Pray that God might reveal himself to you. From the Gospel of Luke Chapter 11, during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we seek God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, then God, by his Holy Spirit, will reveal himself to us. Now, if we already believe in Jesus, and we know that Christ is Lord, that the resurrection is is true, then we need to invite our non-believing friends and family members and coworkers and classmates and neighbors to this table of fellowship. Because as we look at the history of the church, we can see that belonging leads to believing. People need to experience the the love of Christ through Christ-centered table fellowship before they believe. Yes, belonging leads to believing. So this Easter, may we all make the commitment that we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will reveal himself to those who do not yet know him. And we're going to pray that God might use us to help invite others to join us at this table of fellowship where each one of us can see quite clearly that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your spirit you make yourself known to us. We thank you, Lord, that you open the eyes of Cleopas and his companion. We thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself to Simon Peter and to the rest of the disciples and then to 500 people. They got to see the risen Jesus, Lord, and we know that believing is seen. So, Lord, by your spirit, give us the faith we need to see all that you're doing and help us to be an instrument of your grace that we might be bold in our invitation to others to join us to this table of fellowship where you make yourself known to all of us, where you remind us of your unconditional sacrificial love. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.